this morning. Brilliant. You're all feeling fit and energetic and full of faith and excited. It's good to see that Carl is. Carl and I went and did the Aerosmith mountain bike race yesterday. And it was a, I forgot how many hills there are in it. <laughs> it was hard. But it, but it was good. It was good. Okay, this morning I'm wanting to talk about cave time, cave experiences. You know, part of our flavour at SABC is that the messages we share are positive, encouraging, comforting, and strengthening. We start with the understanding that God is always good. Yeah. He's always in a good mood, and he's always doing good things. Yeah. And we realize that God is, incre is incredibly in love with each one of us, yeah. culminating in what Jesus did on the cross. The cross being at the very center of everything. So we talk about how God is for us, that we have hope and a future, that God is continually making us into his image, that we can have a victorious mindset. Yeah. We say that God is our savior, our healer, our provider, our leader, and our guide, and so much more. Yeah. Now, God is good. Yeah. And the Bible is full of positive message, messages that give us hope. Yet it doesn't take too long in life before you realize that not everything we experience in life feels positive. As well as the good, we also experience pain, difficulty, and suffering. And fortunately, the Bible talks a lot about these subjects as well. A simple example, the Holy Spirit is described as the comforter. Why would we need a comforter if we didn't need comforting. I think it is good that from time to time at SABC we have people talk about their journey through difficulty as well as encouraging us with positive messages. So today is one of those times. You know, there are many reasons we can go through pain, difficulties and suffering. Some of those reasons include that we live in a fallen world. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is at work. Without outside energy, everything gets worse. Also, another reason is that we can go our own way instead of God's way. Free will allows us to make bad choices. Thirdly, the enemy is attacking us. Satan will tempt us, accuse us, and trick us. Uh, Fourthly, we may be being persecuted because of our faith. You know, suffering for our faith in Christ is biblically considered a normal part of Christian, the Christian journey. Or we have bad beliefs. What we believe has a bigger influence on our future than what the things that we do, do. <laughs> Whatever the cause for our trouble, trouble we can take courage. The Bible tells us that God is always able to make something good out of whatever we are going through. Yeah. This morning, Denise and I want to talk about one, one good purpose God is able to use bad situations for. We want to share some of our story, and it's probably aspects that we wouldn't normally share publicly. 
through our difficulties, God is able to give us cave experiences or cave time, a time of confrontation, a time of changing our beliefs, a time that we can take that can take us to the next level of living. What we need to understand is this. The quality of our character is of greater value than the difficulty of our circumstances. God values the difficulty of our circumstances for improving the quality of our character. So first of all, to help me explain, please allow me to open up some scripture for you. This morning we're, we're looking in... Uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18 and 19. We're not going to read it all. In fact, I'm going to read very little, but you'll find uh, aspects of Scripture coming up on the screen as I go through. And this is the story of Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. A number of years ago, I did a series based on Elijah, and he is often a go-to character for me in my talks. One of the reasons I like Elijah so much is that the book of James says that he was someone just like you and me. Yep. You know, no one, well, we're all special, but no one's special, you know, what I mean? is ordinary. Yep. And yet he did amazing things. And that gives me hope for my future. God likes to do great things with ordinary people. Yeah. Yeah. And we can expect great things from God. So let's cover off some of the key points about Elijah. Some time after the nation of Israel achieved its heights with King David and King Solomon, they started sinning and turning away from God as a nation. There is a long list of kings who would turn away from God to varying degrees. And one of the worst was a king called Ahab. The Bible says that basically he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And it was to this environment that the prophet Elijah turned up. Elijah desperately wanted the nation of Israel to turn back to God. So he starts this change process by grabbing everyone's attention. Elijah said, it's not going to rain again until I say it will. And so it didn't rain for three years. No rain means no food. No food means famine. Famine grabs attention. Once Elijah has everyone's attention, he enters into a season of miracles, victory, and successes. First of all, Elijah experiences miracles of provision. God sends him to live by a stream and is miraculously fed by ravens until the brook dries up. Then God sends him to live with a widow who almost had nothing, but the little that she had provided food and drink for Elijah and her family until the end of the famine. Elijah experiences miracles with healing. The widow's son dies, so Elijah brings the boy back to life. Then Elijah experiences victory and success. He tells King Ahab to gather all the nation together along with the prophets of Baal and challenges the prophets of Baal to a competition to see whose God was the true God. The God that would burn up a sacrifice with no one lighting a fire would win this life and death competition. You can read it in those chapters I mentioned. Not only did Elijah win, but he did it with great show and influence. The prophets of Baal, the ones leading the nation astray, were killed accordingly. Elijah started this journey with a desire to turn the nation back to God, and he believes he has succeeded, so he says, now let it rain, and again it does. 
As we read this story, we can't help think this is amazing success. Elijah is at the top of his game. What could go wrong for him? God's favor is all over him. And yet, if you actually read those chapters closely, you'll see that there are seeds of character issues that Elijah, with Elijah that God wants to deal with. Firstly, Elijah saw God as judgmental. We see that uh, an example of that when the widow's son dies and Elijah says, um, God caused the son's death. And seeing it as judgment for something that the family had done wrong. He perceived that God judged people and sent calamity their way to punish their sin and in so doing, administering justice. And he was expecting God to do the same for the nation of Israel. Secondly, Elijah had also overstated view of his own importance. He said that, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Elijah thought he was the only one God could use to change the nation. He was that important. And yet, on a number of occasions during those chapters, there's several times where, where it was identified that there are a lot of other people serving God and ready to do what God wanted. To become more Christ-like, we all have aspects of who we are that need to change. And God wants us to become more and more like Jesus. Yeah. Similarly, God doesn't want to see Elijah stuck with, in this story, stuck with the, this wrong thinking. And we see hints that God was giving Elijah opportunities to deal with these issues in his life. But Elijah ignored the opportunities. So God needed to let Elijah have cave time. Cave time is when everything else has been stripped away so that it is just you and God and you're able to listen and ready to listen to what God has to say and allow change to take place. And sooner or later, we all need to have cave time. There are just some things that won't shift or change in our beliefs and understanding until sufficient pain has built up to make us ready for the change. You know, pain is a great motivator for change. In fact, uh, we're doing a uh, sales star sales training program at, at work, uh, developing a whole new uh, sales system for the company. And one of the things that it identifies is, uh, what we're supposed to do is identify pain and gain points for customers that we can fulfill providing a solution. And the thing about pain points is that they're four times more motivating than gain points. <laughs> so let's, let's just quickly go through this story. Um, feel free to read some of the verses as they come up, just to see some of the uh, key points that we can identify from Elijah's story that, that took him to the point of actually experiencing the change God wanted him to have. So... Remember, Elijah was at the top of the game. What could go wrong for him? Everything was going right. God's favor was on his life. And yet uh, the queen, the wife of Ahab, who was a foreigner and was one of the ones who was actually bringing a lot of the uh, Baal and other influences into the nation, causing sin, 
Um, she sent a word to Elijah. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and uh, saying that, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And just with one word from his enemy, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And that caused him to spiral through fear into depression. For, the, for Elijah, the depression was a symptom that came from having bad beliefs. Fortunately, God could use this to bring Elijah to a cave. To have cave time, there needs to be a lie or a character flaw that needs fixing. As I said previously, Elijah had two. He didn't trust that God was big enough to fix things without him. And he also saw that God was judgmental and not gracious. Another point is that God is more interested in who we are than in what we do. The story of Elijah is more about a man having his character changed than about the great things God did through him and for him. The miracles we read about are really a backdrop for what God was wanting to do in Elijah. You know, there is a, there's also a journey to get to a cave. When we look at the story of Elijah, he, he goes to, um, he runs from fear. The, and then he falls asleep as he is depressed. He wants to die, saying, God, take this life from me. And then an angel wakes him up and tells him to eat and drink. Then he falls back to sleep again and an angel wakes him up and says, tells him to eat and drink, he says, because the journey is too much for you. There is a journey that takes place to get into the point where we're ready to receive what God has to say to us. And Elijah had to travel 40 days and 40 nights. I do wonder, did he sleep? (laughs) Also, Elijah needed no... Now, in that journey, Elijah needed nourishment to get to the right place. He needed physical strength. There are often steps that we need to actually get us to the place to hear God's, you know, when it's, uh, to hear God's voice. Now, if it's depression, for instance, sometimes you need, actually need medication to actually get you to the point where you're going to be able to go to the next step and then to the next step. He also needed to travel a long way to get there. The trip took that 40 days. We normally do need time to get to a place where we're ready to hear what God has to say. And we need to get to the right place to receive what God has for us. Some people here are rescuers, wanting to stop people experiencing pain. Most of the time, there are times when you do need to rescue people but most of the time if we don't allow pain to do its thing then people will actually never get to the place where they're ready for change and that process is needed to realize what needs to be fixed when Elijah went to the cave God said to him what are you doing here Elijah God was starting the process with Elijah by asking questions. Trying to get Elijah to think. 
and, and dealing with both issues, then, then God said, you know, I want to meet with you. So go, go stand outside the cave and I'm going to come and meet with you. And then a, um, a wind came, a powerful wind, an earthquake and a fire. And these are all things which Elijah might expect, expect that God would use to judge the nation of Israel. And yet as Elijah was standing there and these, these powerful things were taking place, Elijah could realize actually God's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. He's actually not in the judgment that I was expecting. Then God says, also says to Elijah again, why are you here, Elijah? <laughs> Getting Elijah's brain to work things through, to process things, to actually get to the point to say, well, actually, I'm the only one, maybe, who's actually standing up for you and, and seeing this nation to change. And God, at that point, God was able to actually speak into Elijah's life and bring change. Now, a word of truth from God is required to bring freedom. God revealed himself to Elijah in a way that was unmistakable. Bible describes it as a small, small, still voice. But it was unmistakable. God was there. And God spoke truth to Elijah that set him free. You know, he said to Elijah, there are 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, who are still here, who are on my side. It's 7,000 times better than what you think. <laughs> And he said, I, I don't want you to be on your own. Go, he, he actually gave three people to anoint. He went and uh, anointed Elisha to take over his ministry. And it's interesting that it was actually Elisha who then went and anointed the other two people. There was a shift that took place in Elijah. Now, after the word from God, Elijah was transformed in his thinking. It is interesting to note that Elijah's circumstances hadn't changed. Jezebel was still out to kill him. That hadn't changed. But with a word from God, everything changed. Elijah's perspective changed. Elijah's direction changed. Elijah's understanding changed. Elijah's hope changed. Elijah's um, actions changed. I want to invite Denise up because we want to we want to put um, this in, into a real frame of reference around some of our experience. So um, we, we're going to share a few of our stories all linked together. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed any help in any way. But now those days have gone, I'm not so self-assured. I've finally found, I've changed my mind, I've opened up the doors. These familiar words are from the Beatles song, Help, written in, by John Lennon in 1965. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I thought I would be a perfect mother. As a child, I loved playing with my big baby doll. <laughs> Her hat's falling off. Um, a neighbour gave me baby clothes that her child had grown out of. 
I would spend hours dressing my doll and carrying around the house on my hip. In my late teens and early 20s, I was so clucky that my eyes would sometimes well up with tears when I saw a mother and baby. In my mid-twenties, I embarked on motherhood, starry-eyed and full of hope. During pregnancy, I realised that being a mother wasn't as rosy as I had once thought. There was, wasn't just morning sickness, but all-day sickness, and extreme tiredness, especially at the start. The last trimester was uncomfortable, to say the least, and with more tiredness because I could not sleep at all. The birth was a shock, a three-day labour with an episiotomy and being stitched up before the anaesthetic had started to work. Afterwards, I looked at the baby in my arm. What do, what do I, sorry, Steve, what do I need to do? Do you need to? Is it possible? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Afterwards, I looked at the baby in my arms and said to Robert, love must grow because there's nothing here. <laughs> Thankfully, during our stay at Christchurch Women's Hospital, I fell totally in love with our baby girl. The first six weeks at home were difficult. I felt helpless when she cried and I couldn't console her. You know those times where your baby's been fed and changed and you just don't know why they're crying. As time went on, I found myself in what seemed like a big black hole, a dark pit. I felt totally hopeless. I felt like a failure as a mother. I was hopeless. What Robert and I didn't know was that I had postnatal depression. It wasn't a sad type of depression. I didn't cry at all. It was a feeling of feeling hopeless and angry, very angry. The smallest things could trigger explosive outbursts of anger, totally out of proportion to what had triggered the anger. It was too hard to ask for help. I, unlike John Lennon, I couldn't say to anybody, help me if you can, I'm feeling down, and I do appreciate you being down. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? So I continued on without any help, pretending everything was fine, keeping up appearances, wearing a mask. Looking back, I think the reasons I couldn't ask for help were shame and pride. I was too embarrassed to admit to anybody that I wasn't coping. A few years later, after the birth of our second daughter, I told my doctor that I wasn't coping. The doctor diagnosed that I had postnatal depression. I started taking antidepressants and I had some counselling sessions. Neither of these treatments were a miraculous cure. It was a long journey out of depression. I found it hard to perceive any tangible benefit from the medication, just an extremely dry mouth, which is an awful side effect. It took a few changes in medication until I experienced anything somewhat effective. Some counselling sessions were a waste of time. I got annoyed with counsellors who would just listen but not offer any advice. I think it's called reflective counselling. I wanted help and advice, not someone to just listen. We drove to Nelson to have a counselling session with David Waddell, who had been recommended to us by Pastor John. 
I learned that one of the causes of anger is blocked goals. Another cause is expectations not being met. He said that the greater, the greater the gap between your expectations and reality, the greater the anger. So I learned that if I lowered my expectation of myself and others, the level of my anger would also be lowered. Four other things helped me on that journey. Number one, reading the Bible, especially the Psalms. Words like, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. And your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. It helped to put life-giving words into my mind rather than dwelling on negativity and anger. Number two, singing songs of praise and worship to God, even if I didn't feel like it. Worshipping God, God my creator while swimming or walking on the beach was helpful. One song in particular helped me hold on through um, many years. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You've set my feet upon a rock, and now I know. I love you, I need you. Though my world may fall, I will never let you go. My saviour, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. Number three, prayer support from others. Even though it was so disappointing for me not to be healed instantly of depression, it was encouraging to know through the prayers of others that they cared for me and wanted the best for me. Number four, gratitude. To be grateful and thankful. To count my blessings, name them one by one. I needed to change my way of thinking. For example, instead of groaning about hanging out mountains of laundry, I could realise that the mountains of laundry meant that it were from having a family to look after, which is what I'd always wanted. I would have had a lot less washing if I lived by myself. <laughs> Recent studies um, have shown the benefits of practising gratitude. People who regularly practice gratitude by taking time to notice and reflect on things they are thankful for, experience more positive emotions, feel more alive, sleep better, express more compassion and kindness to others, and have stronger immune systems. Overcoming depression is a gradual process. Often one tool creates space for the next tool to help. I can relate to the Beatles song, and now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But, but every now and then I feel so insecure. I know that I just need you like I never have before. If you need help, ask for help. The change may be gradual, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. I give thanks and gratitude to God who took me from the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. Thanks, Mary. You know, cave time can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and for Denise, the cave felt like a pit. And God had to free her from that lie that could, she could actually go through life on her own, that she, the lie that she didn't need anyone to help her. And through the process, God was able to speak to her and strengthen her and enable others to come around and support her and help her to see the difference take place. One of my cave experiences was connected directly to Denise's depression. While Denise was going through this painful time, my passion for running had an incredible, incredibly high focus in my life. I was doing 100 miles a week, spending about 14 hours of each week on the sport. This meant getting up before 5 each morning 
and being in bed by nine. I was going to bed exactly when Denise needed to talk. I wasn't providing my wife the support she needed when she needed it. Yet I was blind to my part in helping Denise and I didn't want to hear anything about it. When we went to David Riddell, I was expecting him to give Denise tools and tell her to pull herself together, get herself sorted out. Instead, David spent a good amount of time focusing on me <laughs> telling me I needed to shift the focus and energy I was putting into running into Denise. How dare he? <laughs> then to make matters worse, a while after this counselling session, Paul Edlin and Tony Marsh, who were elders at this church at the time, paid us a visit. Again, trying to get me to see the effect of my running, the effect that my running was having on Denise. Problem was, I wasn't ready to hear it. And it wasn't until I snapped my Achilles through too many cortisone injections, uh, which brought my running to an end, that I was actually ready to listen. I had entered my cave. And I was able to hear, yeah, Denise <laughs> would have said finally as well. But I was actually able to realise you know, the pain that I was actually contributing to Denise's experience. And God was able to speak to me about that. Another cave experience I want to share is more recent. One of the side effects of what Denise has been going through is that there are things in her world which I'm just not happy with. And even though I mentally knew this wasn't deliberate behaviour, it didn't stop me from coming home occasionally and letting my frustration boil over into negative comments towards Denise. It was what Denise was talking about earlier. My expectation and what was really happening were miles apart. Last year, I was spending some time with Jesus and I was imagining myself in the throne room with him and Jesus said to me that he wanted to wash my feet. So in my imagination, that's, that's what happened. And then Jesus asked me the question, do you know why I've done this, why I've washed your feet? And I said, well, Lord, I remember the story in the Bible. I can't remember the exact reason that you did that. And I felt you say, well, don't worry about that. <laughs> this is what I want you to understand, that if I am happy to wash the muck off your feet that you get every day without judging you, why are you judging others? And immediately I thought about Denise. And in that instant, a transformation took place. I haven't come home at all and said anything negative to Denise since that point. In fact, what, we, what I started doing is sharing uh, uh, that whole appreciation thing, uh, in fact, going really over the top and showing appreciation for anything and everything, no matter how small Denise was doing. So I'd come home and I'd find some of my... Uh, gear washed and, and folded on the bed and I say, Denise, I really appreciate you washing that and, and getting it done. You know, I don't know what I'd do if you weren't here. You do such an awesome job. It's so neatly folded. It's great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing that. And it became a game. 
and just doing that all the time. And Denise caught on to the game pretty quick. <laughs> and she started doing it back to me. And I'll tell you what, it's probably one of, the, if you want some marriage advice, it's probably one of the best things I can recommend for your marriage. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible. It was an incredibly transformating things for us. Not quite sure if I got that word right. But <laughs> and uh, if, if you come and spend any time around our house now, it won't be long before you hear one of us doing it. <laughs> Cave time. We all need it. Now, I, I don't know what, maybe the band could come up. I don't know where you're at at the moment. Maybe you're like Elijah was, uh, you're in a, a season where you're experiencing incredible success, God's favour's on you, you're doing amazing things, uh, you're feeling really um, uh, great about what's going on around the world uh, or in the world around you as God's doing things. And that's an awesome place to be. If that's you, can I encourage you just to keep growing the, the habit of thankfulness and gratefulness and just, just keep saying to God, yay God, I love what you're doing here, I thank you. And actually get specific, you know, we, we can, it's very easy for us to go, you know, thank you God for your goodness. Actually, let's be specific and say, Lord, I just want to thank you that you're really good, that you've, um, that you've pre prevented me from actually getting a cold this week because... Other people around me have had it and I haven't picked it up and that I'm uh, walking into increasing health every day. You know, it's, it's good to be thankful and be being specific in that. Or maybe you're uh, at that point where someone has just spoken a negative word and it's put you into a spiral and you're heading downhill and you, and you just want to give up on everything that you've got. Um, can I, I encourage you, if you're in that space and we all get there at some stage, pause. pause and, and go after the nourishment that you need for the time. It may be medication, it may be counselling, it may be um, food, it may be sleep. There's all sorts of actually natural things that we need to actually help us to get the energy to go for the next step. Get people to pray with you. Or perhaps you're on the journey towards um, your cave. Maybe you're not quite ready to hear yet. Perhaps you could just ask God to shorten the journey. <laughs> Maybe you could allow yourself to be a bit more vulnerable so you actually get to that point where you're ready to hear God sooner. Or maybe you're in the cave. And God is speaking and you just need to listen. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and rich receive what he has to say for you and allow that transformation to take place. Denise wanted us to finish by singing that song that was really special for her. Can I encourage us to stand? And one of the things in the prayer meeting I really felt this morning is, is uh, I was, I was um, Jesus encouraged me to just look down in the auditorium and said, watch this. And I, I saw the Holy Spirit just going around people and hugging them. I think as we sing this song, you know, whatever stage you're at, just allow yourself to connect to God, be thankful, and let the Holy Spirit give you a hug this morning.